You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Nada has become the ultimate tease on the discussion of race because he tells us that he refuses to talk anything else about race as it relates to the NBA and maybe even the sports world in general. And he goes on Twitter and he says he wants to talk about Steve Nash being hired by the Brooklyn Nets. And now... We're not going to talk about it because he has pulled the carpet right from under my feet and the conversation has been altered to more draft heavy stuff and more things that are not as serious. You're welcome, people, because I know there's at least one or two of you that get sad every time we discuss race and feel like they're ostracized. (laughs) So you know what I'm doing? I'm saving you from yourselves. I'm saving you from being sad like I'm saving myself from being sad. I choose not to be sad in these nice little QCPN studios. So you know what? You're welcome, people. You're welcome, America. You heard it from Nada. We do appreciate Queen City Podcast Network's availability with their studio and us being able to use it. Thanks again to the Queen City Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. They have an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes stitcher spotify wherever you get your podcast and follow us on twitter at locked on hornet so we were going to talk about the steve nash coaching hire with brooklyn i still am very shocked to see that it was crazy to see it um but instead we'll do some more draft coverage we'll do some more draft options for the charlotte hornets and let's start off with the twitter question that we got because yesterday we talked exactly. about some of the guys that might be pushed out of the rotation whether it's a starting lineup that they're pushed out of whether it's kind of starters minutes that a certain player is pushed out of mm-hmm. we did it with Lamelo ball even devin Vassell. Sell, James Wiseman, um, some of these other guys that could be selected. But uh, Patrick Connor writes in on Twitter. We always appreciate Patrick for listening to the show and everybody. Uh, how does Killian Hayes fit in with the rotation? We didn't mention him yesterday. And so w- with Killian Hayes, before we dive in maybe a little bit deeper to some of the realistic options yes. that are going to be there for the Hornets, Nada, I think that it, it kind of somewhat goes similarly to Devin Vassell, even though you're not going to have as much defense sacrificed um, when Devin Vassell is out there on the court. True. You know, he does fit that two guard. Like to me, t- Killian is the, is the one and the two and really you are going to have him as a ball handler because that's something that he specializes in maybe more than some of the other guys do except for Lamelo ball and so you would have Killian kind of I think having the same somewhat effect that Lamelo ball would have it would be backcourt minutes indeed because he's not playing the three he's not playing the three I think that how that affects it is you're going to see probably a lot more Cody Martin at the three and then a lot less. I would probably assume like the minutes at the two probably get proportioned out to a Terry Rozier who has functioned very, very well at the two and a Devontae Graham moving more off ball to basically give him a lot easier shots. So when we start talking about Killian Hayes, it fits really well as long as you're not asking him to score immediately. And I think that's the difference between a guy like him and a guy like LaMelo Ball. One is going to see the floor a lot better. The other one is probably going to score you more, even though LaMelo is a dynamite passer as well. Yeah, so for me, it all comes down to shooting, and that's both the kryptonite of Achillean Hayes, at least percentage-wise, even though we don't hate his form nearly as much as we hate LaMelo's. And it 
Terry Rozier was a 40% shooter from three last season and shot above 40% from the field for the first time in his career. Yes. Devontae showcased himself to be among the best shooters. So any of those guys that you put out there on the court, then you're sacrificing shooting. If you put Killian Hayes or LaMelo Ball on the floor, then the shooting goes out the window more so. Um, but both of those guys are better facilitators and I think passing decision makers than what Terry Rozier is. And Devontae. And Devontae. Devontae's a really good decision maker, man. I'm not saying he's not, but I'm saying there's a gulf between what him and then probably Hayes does and then there's a bigger gap between him and LaMelo. My point being, if you were to have Devontae Graham play instead of LaMelo or Killian, you're not losing the facilitation or the passing ability nearly as much as, you know, Terry. Like if you have LaMelo or Killian playing over Terry, then immediately the passing is better, but the shooting goes way off, specifically with the percentages of Killian. And and again, I'm so scared of that shot from LaMelo and even (laughs) Killian. Um, So I think those are some of the things that James Bragg is going to have to decide. I think defensively, you know, both of those young guys are going to have to go a long way, but it's not like you have a defensive juggernaut in Terry Rozier that is keeping those guys off of the floor. So Terry Rozier is is the most interesting guy to me. Not like if we wanted to try to keep it as simple as we could, Devontae is a lock to start. There's no doubt about it. And even if I think, I don't think either of those guys are taking away miles minutes. Cody Martin is interesting in a subplot. Yes. But Terry Rozier is the number one guy because he's making a lot of money. He's already had a role that's diminished because of the uprising in Devante. Terry Rozier is the guy to pay attention to what happens rotation wise. If they draft somebody that can fit anywhere, one through three, kind of like that. See, that's the funny thing because I don't think he is the guy that you look at. I think you fit around the guy that's making the most money up until the final year of that deal. But you would be doing that strictly for finances, not because of basketball savvy. But also, as we're seeing, the guys that make the most money tend to make a lot of big decisions when it comes to NBA teams. There's some agency there. If you invest in me in so much, and I'm probably, what, the second or third highest paid player now on that team? Yeah, I'm going to have a say on what goes on. Yeah, he did it with Devontae. He didn't. With De- Terry didn't want to move to that spot, Nada, and they told him you have to, and that's why we are. But he didn't have to go with it. Well, no, I know, but he did is my point. Like, yeah. you're saying that he had the power to deny it if he wanted to. I think pretty clearly he wanted to, and yet still that was something that was going to happen whether Terry liked it or not, and eventually we got to a point where Terry was moved to the two and Devontae was the one. I don't think Terry has power over any decisions that James Borrego might wants to uh, might want to institute I, I wouldn't say power but I would say he has the ability to make this very very uncomfortable for everybody so that's the problem. and then we take our our praise from Terry away like if he comes yeah. in and he starts you know kicking and thrashing because of that then it's like okay man look I I understand I'm not saying that he doesn't have any kind of right to feel frustrated because clearly that's just the name of the game but also if it's better for the Hornets to put a Lamelo or a Killian out there instead of Terry in certain moments, then what do you want me to do? Like, if it's better for the growth and maybe even as the team because you want some passing, you know, Terry Rozier's pick and roll decision making, it's not good, man. Like, I think I was, agree that I agree. He, there, he got better. He got better. But but clearly he got moved to a role where catch and shoot was the best ability that he could provide for this team. And I, that that was just what it was. And, you yes. know, I, I commend Terry for not kicking and screaming uh, because of the decision. But also it it goes back to my point like does it have to be an all or nothing thing like can we just hey awesome 
thank you for not kicking and screaming. But also, if you did, then that would be something we would condemn you for too, right? Yes, we would. But here's the other thing I think we have to just recognize when we start discussing all of this is that, yes, Terry was going along with this. But also, let's not forgive the fr- the front office probably made some promises that we are going to feature you we are going to give you that starting role that you were looking for we are going to give you every chance to shine that's true and if you pull the plug on that let's say again i can understand pulling the plug on that sometime around the trading deadline next season i can understand that starting it out like then the front office looks bad and the coaching staff look ba- looks bad and now you have a rep as lying to guys, yeah. which you've already had in the past with previous players. Yeah, and with previous management, I would yeah. say too. Not with this current management, but with previous management. And and I would say, I think that's a good point, but in the end, I don't think it leads to Terry Rozier having any more power as to what is going to happen with the roster and how you might have a Lamelo or a Killian actually playing instead of Terry. I just wonder what James Borrego is going to do with Terry, even a little bit more specific. Oh yeah, no, like Terry's the guy that you worry about. Terry's the guy that you worry about in any in, in any backcourt draft. Terry's the first guy. Cody uh, again. Cody Martin's the second guy because they fe- they feel like they have a rotational guy in Cody Martin. We know that much. Where this go? Like I said, the backcourt is the most interesting part of this draft. If they go backcourt, and, and Malik Monk is somebody I guess I didn't bring up too. What ooh, happens with Malik? Like, like I said, this gets really interesting and this gets really tight. And if they draft a backcourt guy at three or a wing guy at three, like people are going to get moved. Uh, you know, one thing I don't worry about it's RockAuto.com. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody, and they're reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible, rather than changing the prices based on what the market will bear, kind of like what airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody, and they don't require membership or an account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet, whether it's for your classic or your daily driver you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer what you need to do is you need to go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck right locked on in there how did you hear about us box so we know you uh, so they know that we sent you they have an amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Sam Vecini wrote something about the Charlotte Hornets and their draft needs. We'll talk about that in the upcoming segment here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. Develop winning habits. You know what winning habits are? Scoring things in the box score. That's what winning habits are. You compete. Rebounds, when you, assists. Yeah, when you compete, points. you get rebounds. When you compete, you get assists. When you compete, you score points. It's not you about effort. The it's about competing. <laughs> Hey, you want to be back on the show, baby. I got you, Doug. You want to be back on the show. This is me. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Continuing the draft discussion because the Hornets have the third overall pick. It's a lot of fun to talk about this year, even with a weaker draft class. It's harder to pin what the Charlotte Hornets are going to do because they've been so adamant about going with the best talent rather than the best position, even though I would say... There is a certain position I think that would fit the best with everybody else that they have on the roster. Not a you can get to your disagreement with that in just a second, uh, mm-hmm. just a second. But Sam Vecini thinks the same thing, and he writes in his most recent piece discussing the Charlotte Hornets. 
Quote, the Hornets have a bit t- uh, the Hornets have been a bit tougher to peg than the other teams in the top six or so. On one hand, there was a thought out there early in the season that the team liked James Wiseman. I've gone with him here because of that and because he fits the roster perfectly. The team has a pair of guards it really likes in Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. It has a pair of forwards it likes in P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges. Center is by far the biggest long-term need here. So let's start there before we go into his antithesis of what he talks mm-hmm. about. Um, you disagree with James Wiseman being the perfect fit for the Hornets at three overall. I know you've discussed why you don't want James Wiseman because of the limitations that come with a uh, big man ceiling. And I get all of that. But I do think pretty clearly when you go to just position of need itself, if that's what you were drafting off of, I think center would be the guy because of the constant trade rumors. I think that we have kind of talked about surrounding Cody Zeller. And well, I'm just even saying Cody Zeller. It's it's the salary that I think makes the most sense for another team to take on, given what we have here compared to all the other salaries that, you know, we'd be willing to part with, right? Yes. I mean, we're not parting with Devonte, which is, you know, you know, you understand what I'm saying. I think that's a pretty decent salary with what Cody has. It could, you know, really, it could match a lot of salaries and it's something that's not this albatross contract. Yes. So I think pretty clearly that would be the guy based off position, James Wiseman or Kung Wu, that would fit this team the best. Just the five man is the best, but you disagree with the five man doing that, uh, fitting that bill that Sam Vecini is describing. I will agree that this team is in need of rim protection. I'm in, I agree that they need better rebounders. I also think that that production can be found elsewhere. And I don't think, maybe I am now at the mind of, Center is the new running back. Mm-hmm. And to make the, again, you don't draft them high. They're not that big positional value. Because look, start looking at the teams that have made the second round. The Denver Nuggets, the Los Angeles Clippers, the, um, hold on. Boston Celtics, Boston Toronto Celtics, Raptors, Toronto Milwaukee Rapp- Bucks, Miami. How many of them have a center that you would say is the, f- like the centerpiece of what they do? Yeah, the the face of the franchises. Denver. Denver's the only guy. Yeah, and a lot of what they did be- to get to the second round was because Jamal Murray exploded. Exactly. And except for game seven where Nicola was fantastic. Like Nicola, Nicola saved them. Nicola saved them. But there's one. And I guess I, I hate to bring up the cap thing, but at the same time, you're looking at a Los Angeles Clippers team that loaded on wing, wing talent, and Ivaka Zubak is a really good center for a very cheap price. But he also happened to be drafted, if I'm not mistaken, in the 40s or the 50s. My point is always going to be on this. You can find guys that can adequately fit the bill in terms of rebounding and in terms of shot blocking in the second round. Unless Wiseman's offense is going to be there immediately from day one, unless you are absolutely sure that's what he's going to be able to do then you do not draft him at number three yeah i think it becomes very interesting if you have these kind of guys like a wiseman who is a freak 
uh, an Onyeka Kongwu who comes in immediately defensively. defensively out the box and possibly becomes Bam Adebayo. Well, and and that would certainly make that pick worth it at number three if he becomes mm-hmm. Bam Adebayo. You know, he doesn't have the kind of passing ability that Bam does, but nobody saw the passing ability that Bam has in college. Like, yes, we exactly. didn't realize he had that kind of skill set. And so I would agree with you there. It would be very fun to see Devontae Graham and those guys in the pick and roll with the shooter spread out. And then you have James Wiseman as a very athletic dive man. You know, Cody has always been a guy that needs Cody will give you some pretty crazy dunks every now and then. Yes. Like he's he'll surprise you. Yeah. He's taken flight and it's been fun dunks that he's given you. I don't, we don't really see that from just the standalone explosion from two feet alley-oop dunks. He needs a little bit of a charge. Like that's yes, just he something he needs, we've he needs, seen from He needs a runway. You know, Marvin Williams is kind of the same way. Like yeah. he would give you a couple of dunks every now and then, but it was always a charge. Let me gather, have the basketball in my hands for a long time. And, and Cody would give you some monster ones that were a lot of fun. Wiseman doesn't need to do that. You just throw it up there. He can do the explosion because he is 7-1. He is athletic. And then you can just throw lobs to him all day. Like that's the lob threat we haven't had here in Charlotte. Ever like what? what I mean, I would not. not I would say last. I would say ever. I would say ever. And I would also the one thing that worries me about Wiseman, and I think he's actually kind of slower. He's going to be not that guy that blows by bigs, and I worry about that. You want ISO out of him? I yeah. If if you're going to compare him to Chris Bosh, and that's I, I've seen that comp get thrown out there a bunch. If you're going to compare him to Bosh, he's got to blow by guys. He's got to have the ability. He's more. I th- again, I think he's more Aiton than he is Bosch, and I like DeAndre Aiton. Aiton has done well. Shit, not. I mean, you tell me DeAndre Aiton, I'll take DeAndre Aiton too. And I know I'm higher on Aiton. I mean, I I don't know. You're higher I like on DeAndre. that. I you're, like DeAndre. You're you're higher on it, but I like there's there's a lot of this that doesn't make like for me center doesn't make sense yet. Center or, or center at, for a high pick doesn't make sense. Where he's they're at the running back value right now, and also. This team has enough money to go get if they really feel like big is a problem, and I'm not the biggest fan of them. There's a Montrez Harrell out there. Now, granted, if you want defense and rim protection, Harrell's not the guy. But, if you, but there are guys like that. Bring back Biz. If, again, load up on wings. Wings win rings, guys. If you, I've heard and, you say that before. Yes. I'm going to keep, <laughs> continue repeating this because I don't think bigs are that important. There's something that you can fill in for an MLE if you do it right. Yeah. And, and just going back, like, I mean, DeAndre Ayton, if, if that's the guy you think, you know, clearly yeah, I know Zach Lowe praises him all the time for having improved so much on defense, but still just being not, I mean, maybe even just average after being a train wreck his rookie season. Um, uh, it doesn't seem like a Kung Wu would be like that. Um, you know, Wiseman certainly does have a lot of potential to be a train wreck just because he is so raw the conversation surrounding James Wiseman becomes interesting because of how raw of a prospect he is and yet that's not the history that the Charlotte Hornets have shown let's talk about that in the final segment of the Lockdown Hornets podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network this is Locked On Hornets but give me some positives. As that would annoy me as a head coach. I'd be like, look, you you can't lose to the Bulls by twenty and come away and go, well, you know, let's look for some silver linings. Silver lining, game over. Next game. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Before we get to this second paragraph from Sam Vecini, I wanted to get to, in which I teased in the last segment, we do have some breaking news. Apparently, as we're recording at twelve seventeen today, Nada, what is the breaking news you come with? Per John Johnson of WIP in Philly, per source, 
Sixers are close to a deal with Tyron Lue to be the next head coach. Okay, so after the Steve Nash hiring that took the NBA world by storm in a crazy way. Yes. Nobody expected that. Ty Lue does seem, at least by this report, we haven't heard it from Woj yet. We haven't heard it from Shams, some of the Mount Rushmore, credible sources of the NBA, uh, credible reporters, but it does seem like that is something that is in the mix. You think that this is a mistake for Ty Lue to take this job? Yes, I don't think the Philly job is as good as everybody seems to think it is. Like, of the big jobs, of the New Orleans, of the Brooklyn, of the Philly, I would have put, I would quite honestly, I would have put Philly third. Well, and I would all I would almost say if there weren't so many questions with the Pacers, I might also put Philly below Indiana. Well, the, the thing is, Philadelphia's expectations are championship. And so if you can't fulfill championship, then mm-hmm. you don't reach expectations. And when you don't reach expectations, then you get fired. You know, the Pacers, even with them, I mean, even with Nate McMillan being a guy that seemed to overachieve, at least in the regular season, postseason, a little bit of a different story, but also he had his injuries. Those excuses weren't enough to save him. Even with having a guy like Brandon Ingram improve so much under you, even with a guy like Zion Williamson being out for so long, your number one overall pick, you know, Alvin Gentry, it wasn't good enough to keep his job, even though we kind of had those expectations pan out exactly the way they did, right? Like being playoff Mm -hmm. contention. um, And that was without Zion Williamson playing so often. And so Philly to me does seem like a trap. Philly is absolutely a trap because here's, you have to trade one of those two point blank. Well, let's say even if you don't, you just don't have a ton of cap space to work with because trading Al Horford is going to be hard. Yes. Trading Tobias Harris is going to be extremely hard. Exactly. Josh Richardson is one piece that you have that possibly you attach to and first rounders to one of those contracts to make it more attractive. If Josh Richardson isn't a fan of, you know, Philly. And I know he had his comments on Brett Brown. I don't know how he feels about the teammates in Philly, but you know, that contract is the one that I look at. I'm like, yeah, actually that's a pretty attractive contract from Josh Richardson. He's making like 10 mil a year, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so if you put that on one of these other bad ones to make it a sweetener, or if it has to be a first round or whatever, just there's not a ton of ways out of the bad deals that you have. And so if you can't have a better roster makeup, and the expectations of championship are not going to leave that, then it does seem like a trap because it's not like I'm going to have Philly win the championship. Exactly. And the other thing is, as much as I like Elton Brand, and I think Elton Brand being a team president is very, very important, I'm not very, very sure of his abilities. Because when you're the guy that overpays for an Al Horford, when you're the guy that overpays for a Tobias Harris, you can't be trusted. Well, the, the thing about Philadelphia is, and I fell in love with all the size and just thinking, hey, this thing could work. I really did. But also, it was pretty easy to see that Jimmy Butler was the guy they should have kept over wait, Tobias Wait, wait, Harris. wait. Walker, say it with me. Say it with me. You want to say it? I don't Wings. know. Wings. Oh. Win rings. <laughs> it, it, say it with me well, now. Tobias Harris ain't winning no, uh, no rings. But here's the thing. And he's here's, a little wingy. He's no. He's more of a four now than he's. He's yeah. more of the Richard Lewis type than he is a wing, an actual true wing. Yeah, I mean, I'll go Jimmy Butler is a better wing, certainly. Than yes, Tobias yes, Harris exactly. Is. And they ignored that for multiple reasons, but they invested in the post, and you see what happened to them. Well, they yeah, and of course, like I'm not saying that we should have Al Horford and Joel Embiid out here on the same 
team playing right next to each other. I don't think anybody is going to be saying that. And I even agree with you to some degree on this big band stuff. I, I think I, I'm not as emphatic as you are, but going back to just the Jimmy Butler thing, like that was clearly the better decision to be had. And yet he butted heads with Brett Brown and he butted heads apparently with Ben Simmons and Philadelphia just thought it was too big of a mess and decided, you know, we don't want to deal with this, even though he is the better player. And they decide to pay Tobias Harris uh, pretty clearly a worst by far, a by worst far, defender. Far. Yeah. And even as a, you know, an offensive threat facilitator, like it's not like Tobias Harris is out here making a play for his teammates. That's Jimmy Butler doing all of that. And Jimmy's just a freaking killer. Yes. Like Jimmy's a psycho. Jimmy's an actual (laughs) actual sociopath. And if you read any of that piece in the athletic about him, he Mm -hmm. is probably the worst middle management guy to ever work for. Because he's the guy that's over you that's saying, why aren't you working as hard as I am? You better be working as hard as I am. It's nuts. I would, again, he is probably the worst guy to be a teammate teammate with if you don't love it like that. But and if he you do. To, if you do, then he, again, he'll love you. Again, Joel Embiid was like that. They have a great relationship. How about Joel Embiid wait, wait, putting wait, all the these same, tweets out here? The same dude that, here's the thing, the same dude that showed up out of shape to the bubble, or at least slightly out of shape, and couldn't, again, was they were doing drop coverage for him all the time against Boston and got swept. We're still, we're now, feeling like he's going to be in shape. He's the type of guy that'll work just as hard as Jimmy. Except I didn't say that. Are okay. you denying that Jimmy and Joel Embiid had a good relationship? Just because they had a good relationship doesn't mean it would have worked out long time. Well, oh, you're saying the relationship wouldn't have worked out long term? Nope, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked long term. Well, J- Joel Embiid seems pretty beaten up that Jimmy is not a part of that team. And apparently they FaceTime and talk all the time. Like, yeah, whatever it was, if you made that decision because you didn't think it was going to work between those two, even though it was working perfectly at that time, mm-hmm. then that's some guts. And just fr- quite frankly, that's being stupid. Not having Jimmy Butler stay with your Philadelphia team if Joel Embiid is somebody you were worried about it working with long term. And you turned know- out to be stupid. Anyway. It turned out to be stupid, and it turns out that the Philadelphia 76ers have a mess that, you know what, Kind of, I'm going to be kind of honest, I'm glad the Charlotte Hornets don't have right now. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on Philadelphia being a trap. I don't expect Tyloo to win the championship, and therefore, I expect him to be fired within a couple of years when it doesn't work out. They have to make personnel changes. Let's get to the second paragraph and what Sam Bassini said, because mm-hmm. he brings up a point that we've kind of flirted with. We've talked we about this a little bit, um, but then I think debunked. So let's talk about it with what Sam Bassini has to say. Quote, Having said that, having said everything that you said in the previous uh, paragraph that we just talked about, having said James Wiseman is the perfect fit, I can't get out of my mind that this would be a total departure from what the Hornets have drafted in recent years. Typically, Charlotte really puts a premium on collegiate production. Last year, it took an All-American in Washington and an accomplished senior in Cody Martin. The year before, it was an All-American in Bridges and an All-American in Devontae Graham. In 2017, the Hornets grabbed an All-American in Malik Monk. In 2015, it was National Player of the Year, Frank Kaminsky, from 11 to 13. They took All-Americans, Kimba Walker, Cody Zeller, and MKG in the first round. So a couple things. One, I don't look at anything before Mitch Kupchak's regime. Yeah, I don't, I don't, think, that's, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. So when you bring up uh, Malik Monk, that was somebody that was a first-year collegiate player. Yes. That, yes, he could shoot. Yes, I think we did talk about him helping right away. But also, I just don't know if that's the kind of guy that maybe even Mitch Kupchak and 
uh, James Borrego would have gone for. Maybe they would have. I don't know. Yeah. They still like Malik. I mean, he is telling you he's as talented as anybody they have on the roster. So I could be completely wrong about that. I just don't look at anything really previous to the Mitch Kupchak regime because I think Mitch Kupchak has a handle on this organization in a way that Rich Cho simply did not even come close to. Agreed. Like, this is his team, man. This is what he's running. And James Borrego might have some say in what they want to do. But clearly, Steve Clifford did. Clearly, we had yeah. these kind of discussions about Michael Jordan. If you want to say MJ still has his hand in all of this, then okay. I'm one that personally believes this is all Mitch Kupchak ship and he's running it to the fullest. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there are enough people that have either come on this, uh, that have come on this podcast or have been talking about this for the last little bit. And I can think of Rick Bennell specifically, where he's saying Mitch has the most autonomy of any executive under the Hornets Bobcats regime that we've seen, at least under Michael Jordan, if not if not the since the rebuild and the return. So if we're going to do this, then there's two things I think we do have to mention. One, like you said, Mitch is in charge of this. Mitch makes all the decisions. The second thing that we have to talk about when we start talking about this is, where did they draft? Mm-hmm. Because I think it's a lot easier to go with what you know and what data you have and achievement and accomplishment once you get outside of the top five. Yeah, that's a great point. Like when you're drafting 11 and 12, then what is the upside with guys there that outweighs some of the things that you do have known at that particular spot? Because, I mean, it's not like for the, for the famous misses that we had. Yes. Right. So going to Donovan Mitchell instead of Malik Monk, even before this, you know, even selecting there. It's not like we thought Donovan Mitchell had all this untapped potential where he could be a potential superstar where reportedly he's going to get a max contract, which is no surprise. Yes. So it's not like we looked at Donovan. Oh, look, look how much potential he has. Uh, Nobody in that draft would have told you that Donovan Mitchell has a higher ceiling than what Malik Monk does. Nobody would have told you that. Yes. Um, you go to Shea Gilgis Alexander. You know, I don't know if anybody was saying that he had this crazy high superstar, amazing ceiling. Yeah, I've mentioned about 17 billion times how much I loved SGA, but also it's not like you're looking at him and saying, okay, yeah, he's got this crazy, crazy high ceiling compared to a, you know, a Miles Bridges who they ended up selecting anyway. Or the Michael Porter Jr. thing, which people are going to use as the next bludgeon, but at the same time kind of ignore that the guy that they were going to draft had to contribute. Michael Porter Jr., everybody knew, was not contributing from day one. So, yeah, I mean, here you have a third overall pick where you're not only getting somebody with a lot of potential, you're getting somebody with the highest ceiling compared to really anybody else in the draft at this yes. point. I mean, that's what makes them the top prospects. And so I don't think that this is going to become a part of the equation for the Charlotte Hornets. The only way it does, Nada, is if they think that they would rather have somebody they know about a little bit more in a draft that is so uncertain. Yeah. And then they would go by the highest ceiling kind of guy in next year's draft. That's the only reason. Like, I I don't know if they have it every single year heading in. We like established guys that put up numbers in college. I don't know if that's something they think. I I wonder if that's something they think for an uncertain draft this year. And then next year they go for the high ceiling. Like literally if they went certainty and, and again, here's the thing. If they said went Obi Toppin, I'd be upset. I'd be mad. But back in the back of my mind, I would actually kind of understand it. You know why? Because there's enough tape on him. 
you don't have tape on a guy. A guy like Wiseman, you don't really have tape on. Yeah. A guy like LaMelo Ball, you have tape. You just don't have enough. Killian Hayes, you have tape. Like, there's a lot of these guys that you do have tape. They're so uncertain. They're so And there are a lot of guys that you don't have enough tape on. This is why I don't, again, why everyone seems to think Okongwu's out. And I really don't. Because Okongwu, you have tape. This is going to be about the guys you have tape on, the guys you feel certain about. And it goes back to what we were saying about Wiseman. There's not enough tape. Well, and here's the thing, too. You know, Sam Bassini makes this point, and perhaps this is the best one of them all. He makes this point about them taking established guys. Who's the guy that's established that you're going to take here? You know, Anthony Edwards is a one-year collegiate uh, mm-hmm. player that it's not like he put up crazy numbers. Well, we're actually kind of disappointed with him not taking over games more. Now, LaMelo Ball is another one where it's not like he put up crazy numbers and he wasn't established in college, clearly. You know, James Wiseman didn't because he sat out for so long. <laughs> Denny Advia didn't play in college. Who's the guy, Nada? Like, I don't, that, that guy doesn't exist there isn't, yeah. for you to take over a James Wiseman. There Devin isn't. Vassell is the one that comes to mind. And, and disregarding my love for him, I'm, it's not like I think they are going to do it at three. Devin Vassell is the only one that comes to mind here. And even then, is that enough for you to take him over James Wiseman because he gave you a little bit more of a product at Florida State? Because no. I don't think it is. No, it, again, the only established guy, the only established guy is Obi Toppin. And that's it. That's yeah. the list. And if they go Obi Toppin, they are going to have to explain it to everybody. Well, and then, you know, I don't know what, I forget what a Kung Wu is. I don't know if he's a sophomore. He's a, or I believe a, he's a freshman, actually. Is he a freshman? I okay. believe he's a freshman. So, yeah, you look at a Yeka Kung Wu, just going to look him up. Like, I'm trying to think of the, the sophomore players because... You know, all these guys are so young. It's not like they even had a Coro. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I thought a Coro was a sophomore. No, he's a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and they're not going to take a Coro at three. No, That's just not. not going to happen. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at these guys and there's just nobody established enough. Yeah. Okungu is even a freshman, even if on the outside chance, they would take him at three. He's even a freshman too. I'm, the point is there's not an established dude that I think would overtake some of these other guys that they might take, um, with the third overall pick. And, yeah. and so interesting point. It's something that we've pondered too. But I think we did kind of debunk all of that. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. Thanks again to rockauto.com for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.